Christmas Eve. Isn't it great? Is everybody excited about Christmas Eve? I absolutely love Christmas Eve. Surely it has to be one of the best days of the year. You know, we're, we're kind of all waiting to see what Santa's brought and put under the tree for us. Very excited about that. Uh, even at a 50-year-old, I still get very excited about that. Uh, the anticipation of what's to come. We all get a little bit of downtime where we can just relax, recuperate. You know, we can go for long walks and sit by the fire. Great telly. I don't know whether it's great telly or not, but let's hope there's some great telly uh, that we've got to watch. And um, the, thing, the thing is that I want to ask a question today, the big question that I want to ask is, are you really ready for Christmas? Now, I love Christmas, and I love everything that goes with Christmas. The big day is, is, is nearly here. Are you ready for Christmas? One of the things I love about Christmas, I have to limit myself to the 1st of December when I can start and listen to James Taylor at Christmas. Big James Taylor fan. Any James Taylor fans here? Yes, a few of them. But James Taylor at Christmas, if you've never heard the album, I would encourage you to get it. It is wonderful. It's such a great album. James Taylor at Christmas. But I love the twinkly lights. You know, when, when it's all dark and the twinkly lights are there, I really love that. And I love the 20 centimeters of snow that we had a few weeks ago. That was, that was amazing, wasn't it? Um, but since, um, since uh, one thing that I absolutely love, and since the 1st of December, I've had one of these every day. I've had sometimes two, and there has been a couple of occasions when I have managed a breakfast, lunch, and dinner trio. Now, my confession to you all today is that I love mince pies. <laughs> I absolutely love them. It's, um, it's strange, isn't it, that something that I have little interest in for like 11 months of the year suddenly is wonderful when for this one season, this one month, this one season, this run up to Christmas. But I absolutely love mince pies. I think they're incredible. Christmas for me just wouldn't be Christmas without the little humble mince pie. So what makes a great mince pie, I hear you ask? <laughs> well, for me the pastry just has to be that short crust, buttery, soft pastry. Sadly a skill my mum never really caught up with, because she always, she always made mince pies with puff pastry. Now, that's clearly wrong, but it's got to be, it's got to be that buttery short crust pastry. Now, it has to be deep, but not too deep, you know. And I'm not that picky, but preferably around four and a half centimeters across <laughs> is, is about where you should land. The fruit has to be sweet, but not too sweet. And the best ones always have a little hint of brandy about them. So I love mince pies. But this year, however, I'm sure you'll all be aware there's been huge controversy around the mince pie. Because in Olive magazine, M&S and Iceland are joint winners of the best mince pie for Christmas. But in Good Housekeeping magazine, believe it or not, they had it down as Tesco as the best mince pie. Can you believe that? Now, obviously, in the um, interest of research, I had to try I had to try a few of these mince pies. Um, 
And I would say, not that I represent M&S in any way, you understand, but I have to say that M&S has just nipped it by a whisker. So if you, if you haven't had any mince pies this year, I'd encourage you to go out, M&S on the way home, and treat yourself to a nice mince pie. It's wonderful. But there is one mince pie that tops them all. And actually, we, we had a text during worship, this is how passionate I am, Ruth Brown, who is a member of our church. Is Ruth in? Somewhere. Ruth Brown makes the best mince pie in the world. And um, she's, just, she's recently had a baby, and, and when, she, when um, she had the baby, my first thought was, I wonder whether we'll get our mince pies this year. <laughs> Uh, but thankfully, they have, they have arrived in reception this morning, so I'm a very happy man. Christmas Eve is wonderful. I do hear that Paul Bevan makes a great mince pie. I work closely with Paul Bevan, but sadly, I've never had the chance to um, try one of his. Just saying, you know. Um, one, one year, hopefully, I will. But just to um, reinforce uh, my love of mince pies, I just thought I'd give you a little bit of mince pie trivia, <laughs> just to take it even further. Um, do you know that the first ever mince pie eating contest was held in 2006, and the winner ate a staggering 46 mince pies in one sitting? Do you also realize that during this Christmas period, we will, each of us, will eat 27 mince pies? That's four and a half boxes of mince pies. And M&S expect to sell 40 million mince pies during this Christmas period. But the staggering fact of all is that in 1861, before mince pies, when they, in 1861, mince pies actually contained meat mixed in with the fruit. Now, who knew that? Meat? Can you imagine that? I don't think that would go well in M&S today. So, I know I've kind of overstated it, but I think you're probably aware that I actually do love mince pies, and in the lead-up to Christmas, I am very passionate about my mince pie. I wonder what yours would be. What would you be passionate around? What would, what would, it be, what would the one thing be that you would love and you love about Christmas? Maybe for you it might be the turkey, the way you prepare it, you know, the, the skin really crispy and getting the, the meat really succulent. Or perhaps it's that special recipe of the horse chestnut stuffing that's been passed down through the generations that gets wheeled out at Christmas. Or, the, or maybe, and this is a big one, maybe it is the roast potatoes. Goose fat, beef dripping. Which side do you fall on? Um, or it might be that it's that the way you decorate the tree to perfection. It could be that you go very stylish like this one, or you go extremely tacky. There's a Christmas jumper that could be your passion, that you could be very passionate about. Or it could be the way you decorate the outside of your house. Now, I think this was Tom's house last year, actually. <coughs> Is that right, Tom? <laughs> but we all, or most of us, enter into preparing for this one big day. In one way or another, we all try and get ready for this one big day that is Christmas. I just want to acknowledge at this point, of course, for some of us, Christmas is not a good time and we prefer to try and ignore it. But it, it's hard when you are constantly bombarded 
from the beginning of November with this dream that is being sold, this Christmas dream that is being sold. And even, you know, for most of us who are Christians, we know that it's not about the trimmings, but we can so easily get sucked into it. Sort of back, back in the kind of mid-October, most years, Helen and I have a conversation that goes, you know, something like this, that, look, let's, let's not get sucked into Christmas this year. Let, let's kind of try and have a simple one. Let's, let's not, you know, get sucked into everything the shops are trying to sell you and the, and the TV adverts. Let's just have a simple Christmas. You know, let's maybe give our money to charity this year or let's give our money to the, the poor people of the Durban Valley Vineyard. <clears throat> that's, that, that's the Derby Vineyard that we're about to plant, for those of you that don't know. <laughs> and then around, around the kind of second week in November, Starbucks bring out their gingerbread Christmas latte. And it's like, well, one's not going to hurt, is it? You know, you may as well just enter in just a little bit, have one of those. And then Good Housekeeping launched their Best Mince Pie Award, which... You, you know my problem, so, <coughs> so you've got to have one of those, or one or two boxes, should I say. And then I noticed that co-op this year are doing mauled wine, two for six pounds. What a bargain. It's beautiful. You should really try it. And to top it all off, Ikea bring out their 25-pound Christmas tree. And you, take, you, you, take the you get a voucher that you can take it and use in January. I mean, come on, it surely doesn't get better than that. And before Helen and I know it, we are kind of, we've dived in to the deep seas of Christmas and we're happily swimming along towards the kind of Christmas cracker Baileys and Stilton Island, blissfully unaware that we've missed what Christmas is about. Now, there's nothing wrong with entering in to Christmas. And I know that I, I am overstating the point a little bit, but the fact is, it's very easy to miss a point, isn't it? Jesus is the point of Christmas. And it's a shame that in many households up and down the country this year, the turkey will play a more prominent role than Jesus for Christmas. Did you see that there was an advert recently in the Christmas campaign, Greg's the Bakers, actually had the nativity scene and replaced Jesus in the manger with a sausage roll. How shocking is that? It's, it's unbelievable. And only th this week, um, my wife Helen was, was chatting to um, somebody who works in a stationer's, and somebody came in and asked for a Christmas card with a nativity scene or some religious content on it. And in the whole shop, she couldn't find one card, one card in the whole shop that had any religious reference to it. You see, in the world that we live in today, Jesus is being squeezed out of Christmas. And it, the incredible message that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be with us is just being missed. Of course, Christmas should be full of fun and laughter and we, we should all play silly games and see friends and family and wear stupid paper hats and play with Lego, if you're John Bodley. Um, <laughs> we, we, we should also remember why we are celebrating it. It's about Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God is here with us. You know, and it's easy to miss it. Even for us, it's easy to miss it. The simple fact is Christmas 
is about the coming king. God sent Jesus down from heaven to be with us. And I have to say that this year, more than most, I've tried really hard just to keep Jesus at the center of Christmas and not get sucked into it all. And partly, it was down to a little story that got circulated around the staff a few weeks ago. Sam McDermott, who works here, found this simple but amazing children's story that quite a few of us read, and we just fell in love with it. Um, I think it illustrates a point really well, just how easy it is for us to get off track. I found it profound, and I found it challenging, and so I've asked if Sam will come and read it to us today. It's called Just the Way You Are. It's only about 10 minutes long. So if Sam, if you want to come up, we've got a lovely chair set up here for you, look. Just relax, let Sam read, read the story to us and we'll, uh, I'll come back in a few minutes. A long time ago, in a land much like your own, there was a village. And in the village lived five orphans, a lonely family of fatherless children who had banded together against the cold. One day, the king learned of their misfortune and decided to adopt them. He announced that he would be their father and would come for them soon. When the children learned that they had a new father and their father was the king and that the king was coming to visit, they went wild with excitement. When the people of the village learned that the children had a father and their father was the king and that the king was coming to, to the village, they were excited as well. They went out to see the children and told them what to do. You need to impress the king, they explained. Only those with great gifts to give will be allowed to live in the castle. The people didn't know the king. They just thought that all kings wanted to be impressed. So the children began preparing gifts to offer the king. They worked long and hard to be sure that the king would approve. One of the children who knew how to carve decided to give the king a wonderful work of wooden art. He set his knife against the soft bark of the elm and whistled. The small blocks of wood came alive with the eyes of a sparrow or the nose of a horse. His sister decided to present the king with a painting that captured the beauty of the heavens, a painting worthy to hang in his castle. Another sister chose music as her way to impress the king, and for long hours she practiced with her voice and mandolin and village people would stop at her window and listen as her music took wings and soared. Another child set out to learn uh, to turn the king's head with his wisdom. Late hours would find his candle lit and his books open. Geography, maths, chemistry, the breadth of his study was matched only by the depth of his desire. Surely a king would appreciate all his knowledge. But there was one sister who had nothing to offer. Her hand was clumsy with the knife, her fingers stiff with the brush. When the little girl opened her mouth to sing, the sound was hoarse, and she wasn't much of a reader. She believed she had no talent, so she believed she had no gift. All she had to offer was her heart, for her heart was good. She spent her time at the city gates, watching the people come and go, and she would earn pennies to buy food for her brothers and sisters by grooming people's horses or feeding their animals. She was just a simple stable girl, 
but she had a good heart. She knew all the beggars by name and she took time to pet each dog. She welcomed home the travelers and greeted the strangers. How was your journey, she would ask. Tell me what you learned on your visit. How's your husband? Do you enjoy your new work? She was full of questions for people because her heart was big and she cared about them. They were all the same to her, the beggars and the rich. She cared for all of them just the way they are. But since the little girl thought she had no talent and no gift, she was afraid that the king would be disappointed. But then she remembered the villagers' advice and set her mind about the task of making a gift for the king. She took a small knife and went to her brother, the carver. Could you teach me to carve? she asked. Sorry, the young craftsman responded without looking up. I've much work to do. I haven't got time for you. The king is coming, you know. So the girl put away her knife and picked up a brush. She went to her sister, the artist. She found her on a hill painting a sunset on canvas. You paint so beautifully, said the girl who had no gift but a big heart. I know, the painter answered. Could you share your gift with me? Not now, the sister responded with eyes on her palette. The king is coming, you know. The girl with no gift then remembered her other sister, the one with the song. She will help me, she said. When she arrived at her sister's house, she found a crowd of people waiting to listen to her sister sing. Sister, she called sister, I've come to listen and to learn. But her sister couldn't hear her. The noise of the applause was too loud. With a heavy heart, the girl turned and walked away. Then she remembered her other brother and took a small book with words and big letters and went to see him. I have nothing to offer the king, she said. Could you teach me to read so I might show him my wisdom? The young sage-to-be didn't speak. He was lost in thought. The child with no gift spoke again. Could you help me? I have no talent. Go away, said the scholar, scarcely moving his eyes from the text. Can't you see I'm preparing myself for the coming of the king? And so the girl went away sadly. She had nothing to give. She returned to her place at the city gates and took up her task of caring for people's animals. Some days after, a man in merchant clothes came to the small town. Can you feed my donkey, he asked the girl. And the orphan jumped to her feet and looked into the brown face of the one who had traveled far. His skin was leathery from the sun and his eyes were deep. His kind smile warmed the girl's heart. That I can, she answered eagerly, leading the animal to the trough. Trust him to me, and when you return, he will be groomed and fed. Tell me, she asked as the donkey drank, have you come to stay? Only for a while, I'm looking for someone. Are you weary from your journey? I am. Would you like to sit and rest? And the girl motioned to a bench near the wall. The tall man sat on the bench, leaned against the wall, closed his eyes and slept. After a few minutes, he woke up and found the girl sitting at his feet, watching his face. She was embarrassed that he had caught her staring and she turned away. Have you been sitting there long? Yes, she answered. What do you seek? Nothing. 
You seem to be a kind man with a peaceful heart. It's good to be near you. The man smiled and stroked his beard. You are a wise girl, he said. When I return, we will visit some more. The man did return, and quite soon. Did you find the ones you were seeking, the girl asked. I found them, but they were too busy for me. What do you mean? The first one I came to see was his woodsmith rushing to complete a project. He told me to return tomorrow. Another was an artist. I saw her sitting on a hillside, but the people below said she did not want to be disturbed. The other was a musician. I sat with the others and listened to her music. When I asked to talk to her, she said she had no time. The other I saw had left. He had moved to the city to go to school. The girl's eyes widened as she realized who the man was. But you don't look like a king, she gasped. I try not to, he explained. Being a king can be lonely. People can act strangely around me. They ask for favors and they try and impress me. They bring me all their complaints. But isn't that what a king is for? Asked the girl. Certainly, said the king. But there are times when I just want to be with my people. There are times when I want to talk to my people, hear about their day, laugh a bit, cry some. There are times when I just want to be their father. Is that why you adopted the children, the girl asked. That's why. Adults think they have to impress me, but children don't. They just want to talk to me. They know that I love them just the way they are. But my brothers and sisters were too busy, said the girl. They were, but I'll come back. Maybe they'll have time another day. The girl hesitated. Sir, what about me? I have no gift, but I would like to be your child. The king smiled. My dear, you gave the best gift of all. You gave your heart, your kindness, your time, your love. Of course you'll be my child. I love you just the way you are. And so it happened that the children with many talents but no time missed the visit of the king. But the girl whose only gift was the gift of her heart became the child of a king. Thank you. I'm sure John Wright gets somebody to move his lectern for him, but... <laughs> well, thanks. Um, that is an amazing little story, and um, I'm, I'm not a hugely emotional person, but when I, when I read that, I nearly had an emotion. Um, <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it is incredible. <clears throat> but, if you, were, if you were honest, who were you more like in that story? The children caught up in preparing for the king or the one who greeted him? Now, you know, I, I, I know that for um, a lot of us, we can often get caught up in just doing lots of stuff, especially around Christmas time. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to get with great intentions wrapped up and then end up missing the king, end up missing the real point and getting sucked into life. 
And it's, it's interesting, even in that story, that the, the little girl, the sister, she herself was tempted to try and do something and be someone that she wasn't. Isn't that a bit like us sometimes? You see, I think what this simple children's story illustrates beautifully is that God isn't interested in our trimmings. God is interested in us. It's very easy, I think, just for us to get our priorities completely wrong and end up missing the king. Now, the good news is the Bible has a lot to teach us about this, and some of you were wondering when I was going to get to the Bible. When Jesus was on earth, he had like 12 followers called disciples, ordinary people, people just like you and me. But thankfully, a lot of their earthly interaction with Jesus is recorded for us to see, at warts and all sometimes. And um, in one of these stories, we see the disciples wrestling with, well, they wrestle with all sorts of things, but in this, this particular passage, they're, they're struggling with God's kingdom, what it really looks like, what God's kingdom really looks like. And in one of the Gospels, Matthew 18, we see an account where Jesus actually uses a small child, like in the story, to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 18, it says this, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, the disciples had this assumption that there was this pecking order in heaven. And what they really wanted to know is, where did they fit into this pecking order? And this is what Jesus did. Verse 2. He called a little child to him and placed a child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's quite strong language, isn't it? Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus, I think he's saying that to his disciples, you've got your priorities wrong here, guys. Um, the disciples were talking about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus was saying, if that's what you're talking about, you've completely missed the point. He goes on in verse 4, it says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What does he mean by that? Well, you see, I think in Jesus' day, children didn't really have much value or worth until they could begin to kind of pay their own way and, and contribute to the household. But Jesus, as he often did, he took that perceived thinking of the day and he turned it upside down. And he said, the greatest ones in the kingdom of heaven are like these children or like the little girl in the story. You see, I think the little girl in the story, she didn't win the king's favor by impressive works. She was just available. She was just ready to welcome the king. Pretty simple, really, isn't it? But you know, for us as adults, it's really hard to do. It is a big challenge. Now, we've got three boys who are all grown up now. And, uh, but when they were small, we used to do this thing, Christmas Eve, 
we'd get these little stockings out and we'd put them at the end of the bed. And um, in the morning, they would drag their stockings up onto the bed and they'd unwrap these gifts that Santa had bought. And they were really simple things like coloring books and bubbles and you know, pencil sharpeners and all, all things like that, stickers. And after a while, we'd go downstairs and um, we'd then unwrap the, the main presents that we'd helped Santa choose. Um, things that were a little bit more expensive. But it always used to surprise us every year that they were as excited about the little stocking gifts at the bottom of the bed, the coloring books, the less expensive things, as they were about the more expensive gifts. They'd often return and play with these cheaper items and the more expensive ones. You see, they hadn't discovered iPhones and laptops and Playstations. And for them at that age, life was just simpler. It was easier. They trusted that we loved them, that they wanted to be with us, and they trusted that we would provide for them. It all changed when they became teenagers, but I think uh, <laughs> that's a whole other illustration. <laughs> I wonder if in Matthew 18, this is what Jesus means when he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can we really believe God loves us as a child believes it? Can we really trust that God will provide for us? And can we accept the gifts that God gives to us rather than just get caught up in trying to give him the gifts that we think he wants from us? It is a big challenge. Often we are so busy doing that we can very easily end up missing the king. At the carol service a few weeks ago, it was really interesting for me because not, normally I'm, I'm involved practically in a, in a way of I'm on the stage playing something. And so naturally you, you kind of focus in on your, the thing that you're doing. Um, and I, you know, I have a, a, an overall responsibility with Will Hallam, and, but, it's, but when you're on the stage, it becomes your thing. Well, this, this year, I was given the title of executive producer, which pretty much means keep out of the way, <laughs> uh, which I try my best to do. Um, but, you know, it was really interesting because with the rehearsals and the, the four services that we ran, I ended up watching the carol series seven times this year. Um, and the thing that I think was beautifully conveyed is that God's plan for Jesus to come into this world was largely unseen and unnoticed. A vulnerable, helpless baby. There was no shiny carriage, there was no earthly fanfare. There was an angelic one which was aptly demonstrated at the carol service. But when Jesus came, in all honesty, he was pretty easy to miss. The innkeeper missed it. You know, he didn't give him a, a grand room, gave him a stable out the back the village that Jesus grew up in, they, they missed it. The religious order of the day constantly missed it. And even Jesus' disciples missed it at times. Of course, we all know that Jesus, that Christmas is about Jesus, and it's not about the trimmings. But even for us, it's really easy for us to miss it. So when I 
look back at Christmas being a child, I'm sure it snowed more when I was little. I'm sure Thornton's chocolates had more toffee ones in the tin. And I'm sure Lego Castle serial number 6080 wasn't anywhere near as good as Action Man with real gripping hands and eagle eyes. But when I look back, when I was young, I wasn't busy getting ready for Christmas. I was busy experiencing Christmas when I was young. Are you ready to experience Jesus tomorrow? Are you ready to greet the King? Now, I'm sure that Christmas Day will differ for a lot of us in the way that we do things. Some of you will do Christmas lunch, and can you believe it, some of you do Christmas supper. That just sounds weird to me, but anyway. Um, some of you will watch the Queen's speech, and some of you will watch James Bond. Some of you will have cheese and biscuits, and some of you, the sensible ones among you out there will have a mince pie with cheese. Yes, it is true, and it is wonderful. Mince pie with cheese. But I wonder what tomorrow would look like for you if you just hit the pause button at some point, laid aside the day for a few moments just to, to thank Jesus that on his birthday, we all get an opportunity to have a day off to be with him. So I had this little prayer printed. It was on the seats as some of you came in today. My hope is that at some point tomorrow, whoever you're spending Christmas with, whether that's on your own, whether that's with family, but at some point tomorrow, you'll get this little, little prayer and you'll engage with it. You'll read it. It could be the first thing in the morning when you get up, you just decide this is a portion of time you want to give to Jesus. Or it could be as you sit down with family at the table. On one side, the prayer is written for you as an individual and on the other side, it's written for you as a family. But I just encourage you to engage with it. Whatever you do tomorrow, don't miss the king at Christmas. You know, even the little humble mince pie was used to glorify God. Did you know that in, back in the old days, 16th century, they would typically include three spices, cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg, to represent the three gifts that were given to baby Jesus. They would make them in an oval shape that represented the manger and the, the pastry crust would represent the swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. And even some of them had a little baby pastry Jesus on top. You see, I, I knew that mince pies were special. <laughs> it was just confirmation for me. So at Christmas, let's remember, everything comes from God, all we have all we are, all we do, and all we're going to eat. It all comes from Jesus. It all comes from God. So let's spend some time tomorrow just preparing our hearts, preparing our hearts to meet the King. Let's praise Him and thank Him for what He's done, all He is, and all He's going to do in the new year.